Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I'm joined today by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. And as you can tell, the Andy Sable Show and Friends feed is back in action. You heard uh, Football and Grits on this feed. You will hear Max Olson, Sam Kahn on this feed later this week. So we are jam-packed as the season is getting underway again. Here on Power Hour, we will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And we might make you thirsty while doing so. So feel free to grab a beer or seltzer, whatever cold one you want. We're going to start with the power five in true power hour fashion. We will give ourselves one minute to cover one of the most pressing issues in college football before the buzzer sounds and it's time to move on to the next. So I will start the first topic of power five is Jim Harbaugh today started uh, some Bible comparisons as he was talking about his quarterback competition and the fact that he has not yet named an official starting quarterback. He said this is a biblical decision, said Solomon was known for being a pretty wise person. And as we all know, that is a reference to literally splitting a baby and making a decision. So that's where Jim Harbaugh's brain is, which is uh, always in a different place than everybody else's. But he thinks that Naming Cade McNamara the starter for week one and J.J. McCarthy the starter for week two is a biblical decision and that he is channeling Solomon with his wisdom. That is the first of the Power Five. Number two, Dave Clawson gives an update on Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman's health, and that is that uh, he's not playing yet. Uh, Clawson said today Sam has not been cleared. We feel he's progressing well, but it's a medical decision that will be made by doctors. This will be Mitch's game, referring to redshirt freshman Mitch Griffiths, who is uh, the quarterback. Wake Forest plays VMI on Thursday to open up the season. And we hasn't really been made clear what exactly is the issue uh, with Sam Hartman, only that it's a non-football medical issue. But uh, for a guy like Hartman, who had a monster season last year, uh, we all hope that he is indeed progressing well and that uh, he can get back on the field for Wake Forest pretty soon here. And just a, as a quick side note, as much as we make lots of references to it and joke that Sam Hartman is a future bachelor, we would like to see him play more football before he embarks on his reality, reality TV career. Okay, third item on the Power Five, and we will get back to some of these, including Jim Harbaugh and the biblical statements later. Topic number three, Steve Sarkeesian says he will not put out a depth chart before the season opener, and he is not expected to provide a depth chart at all this season. Now, this is one of those things that I just get super annoyed about because I don't think this stuff matters and these coaches act like everything they are doing is state secrets. Jim Harbaugh, of all people, is actually 
telling everyone basically his whole too deep this year. He never does that. He never puts out the depth chart. You know who the depth chart helps? It helps people covering the games. It helps the people calling the games. So therefore it helps the fans who are watching the game, because then you know who to prepare for, who's on the field, who might get into action. And these coaches are acting like it's state secrets and they can't trust anyone. And it will give too much ammo to their, to their opponents. Please don't do it. Steve Sarkeesian, we believe in you. It's not too late to reverse course. So I have a theory about this depth chart, depth chart thing. And you know, it's not unusual for coaches to not do depth charts. It's very stupid, but it's not unusual. But I am wondering, and I'm curious what you think. Do you think this is a transfer portal play? That if players see themselves third on the depth chart, they may be more likely to leave and that this could be more mm. of a preventative move? Maybe I hadn't thought about that. I would still think they would know that they're third on the depth chart, even if they don't see it written out. So I don't think that should be the main decider, but it's a fair point. I think the transfer portal has something to do with some of these decisions that have been pushed or not announced yet. So it's possible. Number four on the power five here is a similar situation, which is Penn state. It's depth chart came out and drew Aller, the, the highly rated incoming freshman quarterback is number two on the depth chart. Uh, the question is, for how long does Sean Clifford keep this job throughout the season, or or does the highly touted freshman who clearly has won the number two spot already, does he come in eventually at some point this year, take over the job? It's a good question. It's something that we're going to monitor and keep tabs on. Audrey Snyder covers Penn State for us. Does a great job. She'll be all over it. The fifth of the Power Five and its debut ranking is probably the most important story out of any of them. This is something that everyone who follows college football followed very closely last week. And that is what is the live rooster? The South Carolina Gamecocks mascot, unofficial mascot. I, I mean, it's, I don't even think it's technically the official mascot, but what is this live mascot going to be named? And we all got really excited, really hopeful that it was going to be cock commander. It is not it is not it is going to be just the general. And it's really disappointing because all they had to do was just say the commander. And we all would have known it would have been a nice little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And we all would have known what they were really doing and how happy it would have made all of us. But unfortunately, this live rooster is going to be called the general. Not that exciting. And that is it for the power five. So we will get back to some of these topics. Um, but otherwise, we will just kind of keep you guys updated in news of the day. This will be a segment that we will keep here on the Power Hour. Sticking with the theme of the show, let's go to the On the Rock segment. It's time to talk it out. There's friction everywhere in the sport, and we're here to help work through some of it. Let's start with the obvious Rocky relationship, Chris. Uh, walk me through what's going on with Scott Frost and really the entire Nebraska fan base. Well, what's going on with Scott Frost in Nebraska is what has been going on for years now. I think we all were excited for week zero games. We got Nebraska week zero once again in Ireland, a big game to kick off the season. And what does Nebraska do? They do what they've always done, which is lose a one score game uh, in, in blow lead. They have now lost seven straight games by one score, a modern college football record. And this, look, this was the game that they had to win. They, they won one Big Ten game last year. It was over Northwestern. It was a blowout. Nebraska came into this game as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. The line got down to about 11 before kickoff. People were feeling Northwestern. And ultimately, those people were right, although I don't know if 
We exactly thought Northwestern would win outright. And so now you see it with Scott Frost. His buyout drops in half to about $7.5 million on October 1st. That same day, Nebraska plays Indiana. Their upcoming schedule is North Dakota, Georgia Southern, Oklahoma, I think bye week, and then Indiana. The question is, is that enough? If they're three and two, does he keep his job at that point or does he make it through the season? Because that November schedule is very, very tough. I am not confident he will be able to keep his job at the end of this year now because I this felt to me like a six and six, seven and five type of year, but that was with a win over Northwestern. So now this is going to hang over them the rest of the season. Is, is Scott Frost uh, going to be able to keep his job? Well, also – it's the way they lost. I, I just think yes. it's because it was the way that they lost so many games last year that ooh, if you're looking for areas of excitement or positivity or glass half full, like what are you looking at? I mean, like we spent an entire off season being like, okay, we have a new coaching staff, uh, you know, half a new coaching staff, new quarterback, well, well, there's got to be something that's going to click, right? Like we, we're going to be better. If you're a Nebraska fan, that's what you're thinking. And it's just, it's, it's the same types of, you know, you're, you're giving up 500 yards of offense to an offense that I would not be surprised if this offense struggles against a lot of teams in the big 10. Like we've seen this with, with Northwestern, right. Where I, I do think they're better. I think they're improved. I think Ryan Holinsky may have really found something. The running backs have really found something, but they're not going to do this to most of the teams in the big 10. And it's just like you just you have a defense that's getting gashed. You have a quarterback who played really well for two and a half quarters and and then kind of fell apart and threw interceptions. And, it, you know, it was just it was a struggle. It was an uphill battle. And Scott Frost's onside kick decision makes it so easy to also point directly to the coach because we can talk about like the tightness. I mean, I think there's really something mental in, in this team that just, um, anytime they're in a close game or has a lead and they blow it, they're just not able to overcome whatever that they need to overcome internally to get there. But I, I just think you've got all those pieces and then you've got this piece of Scott Frost deciding to have an onside kick, give a short field to Northwestern when they had the momentum and it becomes so easy to focus on Scott Frost. And that's why his name is trending. That's why he is on the hot seat, right? Like so much of this first part of the season, as you outlined leading up to October 1st is like squarely about him is because of decisions like that. I mean, he put the attention on himself because he wanted to have his mark on the game. He wanted to do something because he's not the offensive coordinator. And I mean, if it works, I guess we are all like, oh yeah, they just, they went for it. Like that's the the death blow, but that's not what happens. And so, you know, in the moment, it wasn't even something in hindsight that we, we second guessed. It was in the moment we, we were like, what is he doing? And so I, I just think it's all of those things and the lack of progress. And then the direct decision of a coach that factored into the outcome of the game, all that stuff is just not helping the hot seat. It's just getting hotter and hotter and no one else outside of Scott Frost at his alma mater would have even gotten this season in the first place. Not, not only was Scott Frost trending on Twitter, but Scott Frost day was trending on Twitter on Saturday. The, uh, the, the joke that, that we've all made, made it to trending topic. Oh, uh, happy, status, happy Scott Frost day, by the way. Yes. Happy Scott Frost day to you as well. It, you made a comment there too, about the defense. And that was what you leaned on last year. This, that was a defense that kept them in the game against Oklahoma, kept them in the game 
against Michigan State and some other teams last season. And that defense got gashed and was worn down in that fourth quarter. Northwestern did not pass the ball in the final 12 minutes of the game. It was 15 straight runs to end the game, not not including the, the kneel downs. So that's, I think, maybe your biggest concern is that the one strength you had last year is not that strength this year. And the concerns you had last year are the same as well. Credit to Scott Frost, who did say after the game, if I could do it again, I would not do the onside kick. Uh, I think most most coaches would lie to themselves or lie publicly and say, no, I, I would do it all again. He immediately said he regretted it. So Here, credit to that. But, but <laughs> what also, about the part where he threw his his coaches under the bus immediately after the week zero yes, loss? That was, that was another one when he said you have to be a bit more creative in this league. I know there was a little bit more context to that quote. To me, it didn't really change much, but um, I don't know, man, like the Big Ten Northwestern, that's like that's not the place you really need to be creative. I don't think you're not playing some fancy air raid type of of offense here. (laughs) I think Northwestern football has been known for not being very uh, creative uh, in in general. Also, also want to credit the uh, reporter. I think it was I think I read that it was an Irish reporter who asked who asked Frost if he would be willing to step down. As that coach at some point this season, which is not something you would have gotten from an American journalist, but that's just how soccer and rugby and everything are covered over there, I guess. So much more sense now. Cause I couldn't believe that someone asked him that. Yes. Yeah. <gasps> oh, that, it's like a scene out of Ted Lasso. It's Trent Krim all over again. It, it it really is it really is Trent Krim the independent. And um I'm I'm surprised they didn't ask Scott Frost about getting sacked and if he would have been confused by what that meant. Mm, mm. So many good football puns. I, I think that that uncomfortable relationship between a fan base and their head coach, which who again was the white whale, the one they always wanted. They got their guy and no one could have foreseen it going this poorly is absolutely one of the great tensions in the sport and pressures. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, another one I said we would get back to this is Jim Harbaugh and normal coaching decisions. They are, this is a rocky relationship because he does not do things the way that anyone else does. And okay, so outside of the fact that he announced this and said it was a decision, even though it's not a decision, I didn't have that much of a problem with him saying, I'm going to have one quarterback start week one and a different quarterback start week two and like basically kick the can down the road. I do have more of an issue with him saying that this is some sort of biblical decision. Like I thought, am I putting more thought behind why Jim Harbaugh is making this decision than he is? If he thinks that this is just like the Bible, I don't know. What was your initial reaction to him doing what he's doing with Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy? 
my first thought was, look, he can get away with this because their non-conference schedule is trash. They open with Colorado State at home, then Hawaii at home, which just got blasted by Vanderbilt, and then UConn at home. So, like, you could start me at quarterback in one of those games. They're going to be fine. It's not that big of a deal. My other thought was, and this is a theory that our colleague Ari Wasserman has has, uh, posited, and that is Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh knows what he wants to do, and that is start J.J. McCarthy, but he doesn't want to just immediately bench the guy who beat Ohio State, won the Big Ten, and went to the playoff. And that doing it this way is a way to give Kate a shot and give you a reason to pick J.J. McCarthy publicly. That is a theory. I, I, I Honestly, I don't know if Harbaugh is totally thinking that or not, but I, I, I can understand that theory. He's an NFL guy. This is kind of like an NFL preseason type of move. And again, with that schedule, it's a preseason schedule. And I mean, normally in this situation, if if a quarterback just beat Ohio State for the first time in forever and went to the playoff and won the Big Ten, this we wouldn't be having this conversation. But JJ McCarthy has an elite arm, which did have surgery in the offseason. And it kind of feels like Drew Henson, Tom Brady all over again. I I, I don't think there is a a great answer. Obviously, if there was an easy one, Harbaugh would have already done it. But I am starting to talk myself into Ari's theory, which <laughs> is not just Ari's theory. Um, but like, what else are you waiting for? If it's Cade McNamara, you would have just done it. He did beat Ohio State. He did win a Big Ten title. So from the beginning, the idea of like an open conversation competition, the way that he was talking about it was very, very different than last year when it was clear it was Cade McNamara's team and that JJ would be worked in in packages. It's such a question of kind of the past versus the future in someone who did all the things you asked them to do. So you, you don't want to, you don't want to screw them. I mean, like, why, why should you, they, they, they did it all and they did it well. You trust them. There was a reason you stuck with them. And then the future of the program and what happens if you don't give the reins to that person? Do they transfer out? Does, you know, like, does it impact the next three years of the future of this program and what that sets up for the the five years beyond that and the 10 years? Like, it's it's such a hard decision, but I just keep coming back to if, if it was probably going to be Cade McNamara or if they wanted it to be Cade McNamara, it would have been him. Mm-hmm. If you want it to be JJ McCarthy, I can see why you're delaying this. Um, I don't think someone's going to face plant against Colorado state or Hawaii though. Like, no. I don't, I don't think you're going to have, no one's going to be in a tough situation or pressure point. Like no one's going to be in a situation where you're really going to learn anything about them. I'm also really curious what happens when they are winning by 30, who goes in, like, who's the backup? Is it the, yeah, I'm curious how like, long how... are they going to stay in there? If, if they're up 28, nothing, but then, but then who comes in? Are they each other's backup? I would assume so. Or but, but that, I, but that also, know. that also makes it kind of weird. And look, Kate McNamara, by the way, was voted a team captain. Um, that is, doesn't appear that that's going to be a decision in Harbaugh's move, but just like, it's notable that the players. Do you think voted that, do you think that helps or hurts? I think it helps. I think it hurts if you're not going to pick them. <laughs> I think it's a tough message to the team. Uh, if, if they vote him a captain and you decide not to make him uh, the starter. And look, I, I've got a, I've got a personal uh, minor investment in this as well. Cause I picked Cade McNamara in our Heisman trophy draft uh, late last week. It ran today, Monday. Uh, and that was, 
our full national staff did a snake draft of players we think could win the Heisman or, or be in New York by the end of my fourth round. My last pick was Cade McNamara because well, I this said is, this is really about you. This is really about me. The Jim Harbaugh is not taking my Heisman draft into consideration. I think it's a problem. Well, and and again, he just he he does things a little bit differently uh, or a lot bit differently, and this is one of them. I think you're right about the NFL comp about treating it a little bit like a preseason slate of games. So we'll see how that shakes out. But rocky relationship between Jim Harbaugh and normality continues onward. Uh, the last rocky relationship I want to talk about today is I'll, I'll put it this way: college football, major college football's relationship with cash grab games for FCS programs. What ends up happening at its worst is something that we saw play out over the weekend with Florida A&M and North Carolina is it incentivizes programs that are overmatched and already in some situations might be walking into a situation that could be, um, could be a little dangerous or unhealthy based on scholarships and, um, and all of those things, just, you know, just to completely overmatch rosters. We've seen this before where maybe you go to a running clock or certain things because, you know, it's just, it's, it's not an even playing field in any way, but we saw FAMU basically debate whether or not they should play and then opting to play a power five team with eight usable offensive linemen, which does not seem smart or safe. And Okay, they played admirably. They played hard. The team apparently voted on this and decided to do this. But this is an athletic department that I don't think had any. Was it? What are they down? Academic and compliance officials, Chris? Something yes, like the, that. Yeah, the, the funding at HBCUs in general is pretty rough, and uh, a lot of them have to deal with issues like this with staffers. I mean, I wrote last year about Alcorn State didn't have a trainer for a period of time. And I think they almost didn't play a game because they didn't have a full-time trainer on staff and Florida A&M here didn't have uh, had compliance issues. They've had players, whether it's transfers or academics, uncertain about whether or not like they could play the game. They did play admirably. They lost 56, 24 in a game that was competitive for quite a while. They're down at uh, up at North Carolina. But like you said, this is a game where there was a lot of money involved. I think it was a little more than $400,000 uh, the North Carolina was paying uh, for this to happen. So North Carolina wanted the game to happen because they wanted to have a stadium full of people that were paying to be there. And they wanted in Florida and m wanted to get that money, which power five money is what pays for a lot of the athletic department of these places. And it leads to these difficult situations. Sometimes if a team is not in a position to play a game, which like I said, we saw last year with Alcorn state as well. I, I, that's what is, is uncomfortable. Cause I think, I think in some ways I've advocated, I've advocated on both sides of the idea of like scheduling, right. And the idea of should power conference teams play the directional schools in their state or play FCS programs in their state or whatever that looks like, whatever parallel that is. But at the same time, you and I both talk to enough people who work on those campuses at HBCUs, FCS programs, low, very low level group of five where that money is really important. And to your point, it basically props up the athletic department and allows them to sponsor other sports. It allows them to pay for things. So I think about that and I think about the coaches that argue for that and for arguing for, you know, playing as, as, 
school that's in state so that you're, you're keeping the money in state and it's supporting lower level programs, whatever that looks like. So I see both sides of it. And I understand that that's how this stuff works and how it's operated for a really long time, but it almost gets at the larger issue. That's the larger question that's come up, which is sort of, should all of these people that have different resources and, and different expectations, different types of players, different experiences for the players. Like, should they all be in the same category that they should play each other in the first place? And like, I mean, I feel like we see where a lot of that is headed and it's not to say that like, I don't like FCS football or think that there's value in this stuff, but it kind of gets at that larger question of why are they and should they be playing each other? Well, uh, on Monday, as well, uh, Florida AM football team, 88 members signed a letter that they released and they said that the administration uh, had failed them in many ways, including financial aid delays leading to evictions, class registration delays, bad advice on eligibility requirements, cutting funding for summer housing and cutting tickets for family, among other things. And the players said that they'll play the season, but they're going to protest the lack of support by kneeling during the alma mater. And they said, quote, we will not sing a song that begins College of Love and Charity when we feel neither from this university. And that's more than a football team issue. That's an athletic department issue. That's a university issue. And Florida A&M has had a lot of these kinds of issues in the athletic department for quite a while. Um, so again, several HBCUs are in these are in similar positions as well. They're just so dramatically underfunded. And the leadership in a lot of these places is not great as well and it leads to very very unfortunate situations and there has been a push in you know the last couple of years to play more hbcus power five schools to try to set up some more of these games i think um one of them's going to ohio state i think in a couple, in a couple of years or something like that and so it's an attempt to like we said help prop up and fund these athletic departments by paying them big money to come get their ass kicked at this game so it's a difficult situation and i think and I, I think even one like this is different than even playing a directional G5. I think the lower you go, the more difficult a lot of the situations get. Yeah, I just I worry about incentivizing people to play games that, you know, it's it's not healthy to play. Um, Look, Alabama's playing Utah State next week. And Utah State's like a solid team, won the Mountain West. But there are concerns about their ability to get through that game healthy. Like that is that that that's the dramatic difference between the top of the power five. Alabama is not a uh, teams like Alabama maybe should not be playing these games, I think. Hmm. And again, this is just sort of like the broader question of when people say like, oh, the big tent of college sports and sort of like keeping everyone together for the sake of the basketball tournament. It really does keep programs in the on the football side that are drastically different in terms of resource, in terms of side speeds, speed, athleticism, like drastically different. And it creates these interesting, um, and problematic, like incentives to play certain games or to do certain things that are really important to the bottom line, but don't necessarily, uh, make a lot of sense in terms of on-field products. So I, you know, I just, that's what I think when I'm watching this play out and, and we're waiting to see if this game is even going to happen or not. And you're just thinking about like the financial future of Florida A&M and I don't mean to be too much of a downer. I just, I, I think that that is always an underlying factor, especially in the early part of the season when teams do play FCS teams. I agree, but it appears at the moment that FCS games are uh, not going away. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's switch gears to something happier. So let's go to our happy hour segment. Um, This is going to be a regular segment that we have here in part because, you know, sometimes in like we we do our last call segment, sometimes we rant a little bit, like we need to have some, some optimism and some, some positivity in, in the show. But for this week's happy hour, I actually wanted to talk about the actual feeling of optimism that is everywhere throughout the country as we head into to week one, the, the feeling of hope throughout the country. Um, you know, we're we're going to talk about teams that should and are feeling optimistic heading into the season. I think that we can talk about some of the teams that we personally are high on and teams that our national staff are high on. We just did our preseason CFP picks. But I, I do just, you know, at first want to say that I think this is the the best part of the year when almost everybody, because I do know a couple people in Nebraska lost last weekend, but almost everybody's zero and zero. And like the, the, the world is their oyster ahead of them. So I think a lot of people are feeling good about their programs and the idea of success and the idea of the future. And, you know, no one's calling and chanting for the backup quarterback just yet. So first of all, I just want to start with that, that I love the feeling of hope that is this week in college football. Yes. You know, like we, we all woke up Saturday, fired up for football. I tweeted out the early 2000s ABC college football theme, which I love. And I uh, went over to Ari Wasserman's house to watch the games. And uh, it, it was a good time, but it was more of a soft launch. You know, college yes. game day wasn't on college game day wasn't on site. Most teams didn't play. I don't think a ranked team played. So not only are we starting off kind of the real season here, but we're starting it off with a ton of big games in week one here, like just Ohio state, Notre Dame, Florida state, LSU, Oregon, Georgia, Cincinnati, Arkansas. Like this is a loaded week one slate. And I am absolutely fired up for that. 
Okay, so let's talk about some of the fan bases that um, are feeling pretty good uh, and pretty happy heading into the season. I know that this show and this feed talks a lot about playoff caliber teams, and I we don't need to rehash, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. It's, It's one of those years that I sort of hate where people, you know, we can kind of pencil in three and that last spot is a little bit up for grabs, but I want to talk about Utah. Unless you're Desmond, unless you're Desmond Howard. Yes. I have so many questions about Desmond (laughs) Howard's uh, preseason picks for CFP. And it's not just including Michigan. They were there last year. It's a Homer pick, but it's like Baylor and A&M and And, Pitt. Like he, he didn't just pick one to to ride. He, he picked all of them. Okay. So Utah was a very popular pick on our staff picks. I picked them because, well, A, I was a little biased because I went on a trip to the state of Utah. So I was thinking very fondly of the Beehive State, which I don't know. Did you know that it was the Beehive State? Uh, I knew there was a Beehive State. I did. I didn't know it was the Beehive State. But you, you're also you're just you're thinking of the you're thinking of Park Slope here. You're thinking of the 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 ski slopes you were on it's and thinking that's going to make Utah win, make to the ball. Well, it's very close to Salt Lake City. That's like it's like 25 minutes from downtown Salt Lake City, Park City. Um, yes. But no, I mean, like, I, you know, I was there. I saw the relics from from the Rose Bowl season and and how, you know, that was kind of rolling into the feelings around this season. But I thought that that was going to be I was like, all right, here's my outside of the box team you know, that hasn't made the playoff in a league that hasn't made the playoff since 2016 season. Um, all right, this is going to be it. And then we don't talk about our picks and like everybody picked Utah. So everyone's yeah. really high on Utah, which makes me nervous, but I do feel like fans of the youth should be feeling great about their team coming in. I mean, this should be a really, really talented should be maybe, I mean, probably Kyle Whittingham's best team that he's had there. And I just feel like they've, they've, taken all the steps that they were supposed to as they've gotten better. Like they didn't skip anything. They didn't jump ahead and they just kind of been very methodical about this build. And so I feel good about it. And I also have Cam rising in our Heisman draft. So I'm also personally biased about that, but I think that Utah fans should feel high about them and we'll see in a few days about how they play in the swamp. But like, I feel good. They should feel good at least a few days out from that game. Yeah, we, as for our staff college football playoff picks, the nine of us, uh, we got to get together ahead of time and figure out what we're doing because about half of us picked Clemson for that final spot, half of us picked Utah, and that was it. There were five total teams that got to make the playoff. A little, we need to little make, boring. A little we boring. We need to make it a little bit more exciting. Apologies. We did not know ahead of time that ever. I had thought I had gone – uh, I thought I had zigged or zagged when nobody had zigged to pick Utah. I come to, I asked, I told Nicole that she said she picked Utah too. I realized that was a problem, but that is because we are both very high on Utah and there's a reason to be very excited. Look, they nearly made the playoff in what? 2019. They lost the, the PAC 12 championship game to Oregon. So like they've been very close and they just won the PAC 12. So look, there are fair questions about the defense and replacing a lot of those guys, but that offense should be very, very good. In in a, in a Pac-12 that has a lot of questions, they should be good up up in the trenches again. Um, maybe we're all overhyping Utah, and they're just like the favorite team to pick. But I'm fine with it. Like it, it's a different team, and that first game in Florida is going to be massive. I feel a lot better about doing like going all in on someone like Utah than A and M. This is going to be the year they're not eight and four or something, right? Like it just feels 
different. And I think the, we all, I mean, I think everyone, our staff has talked to Kyle Whittingham and joy is talking to him. And I think the way that they built and the way they develop is just, it's, it's a great thing for college football and regional balance is important. I think it's part of the reason people are sort of willing USC to be really good in year one, which I don't know if they are, I think it might be a, a year or two away because it's just, it's better for the sport. If you have someone out West or in the mountain West region, uh, who, who's competitive and who's compelling, who's in the playoff race. So I think that they should be excited again. If you're listening to this after they already played Florida and it doesn't go well, just pretend that this conversation never happened. Um, I want to hear who else, you know, is rightfully feeling good heading into the season, Chris. Outside of the, that top group, I'm, I'm looking through my my 131 rankings here. I mean, I guess like certainly you, we got to say USC, right? I mean, I mean they are they are picked to have a very very good season. They're preseason top 15, you know, after going four and eight last year. Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, all that talent that comes in, um, and they're in the same division as Utah. So that'll make for a very fun. Not, oh, I'm sorry. Wait, no, no, no. Pac-12 got rid of divisions this year. Pac-12 did get rid of divisions. They have the division schedule, schedule. but not the division. So we could get a Utah-USC rematch. I want to correct myself there. Glad I caught that. But that also helps USC's case in that you don't have to beat out Utah to make the Pac-12 championship game. So I'm not someone who thinks USC is going to make the playoff this year. I think they have too many questions in the trenches, especially against a team like Utah. But there's almost no way that I think USC does not have a very fun season and that they are somewhat back, so to speak. Our colleague Antonio Morales wrote a really good story Monday about USC becoming a a villain of college football. Once again, Um, there's going to be, if we're talking about USC this year, that's going to be a good thing for college football. I agree. I think they're going to be fun, at least offensively. We're going to enjoy it. Um, I think that they're a good team because, again, I'm not necessarily sold on them like CFP contention. But do I think that that program is going to take a step? Absolutely. I, I want to talk about a couple others that I I, I think can do that as well. Um, you know, I've been I live in Big Ten country, focus a lot on that. I think there are a couple teams that we don't talk about a lot because, you know, we're not talking about the CFP contenders from the Big Ten. but Purdue and Minnesota both have schedules that set up really, really nicely for them to reach the big 10 championship game. Like the, the crossover who they avoid all of those things. It it opens up both of them to do that. And I think Purdue Penn state on Thursday night might be, I think it's the sneakiest best game of the weekend. Cause I don't hear enough people talking about it, but I also think that like if Purdue wins that, they're going to be the favorites to win the West. I mean, for as many people as everyone just wants to pencil in Wisconsin or pencil in Iowa because they won it last year, I think it would be Purdue's to lose at that point because of who they avoid on the East. But like to me, that's a program. They just had their best season that they've had yet under Jeff Brom and Aiden O'Connell. I have a story out on the athletic about him. Six year senior, super experienced, also newly married. How many married college football players do we ever get to talk to while they're who, who aren't at BYU, who aren't at BYU or Utah? <laughs> very few, very few. Um, so, like, I just think there are programs that are poised to take whatever that next step looks like for them, which for these programs would be, you know, winning the Big Ten West and getting to Indianapolis. 
Um, that kind of float under the radar sometimes. Like I think in the ACC, there's some NC state has gotten a lot of preseason buzz. I think rightfully so, because I think their success last season also float floated under the radar, but you know, they're trying to win an ACC title for the first time in 40 years. And I just think all of this is there. There's a lot of programs trying to take that next step and a lot of reasons to be optimistic about it. Like for NC state fans, like Devin Leary's great. He, he had a 35 to five touchdown interception ratio last year. He's going to throw for a zillion yards again. He beat Clemson. They got that monkey off their back. I mean, like, I, I think there's a lot to like for a lot of these programs. And it's just, it's, it's nice because even your weaknesses right now, you're like, ah, we're going to get better at it. We're going to get better at it. It's, it's time to be optimistic. There's a pretty clear sleeper slash trendy pick in most of the conferences. That includes Minnesota in the Big Ten or Purdue. That includes Kansas State in the Big 12, which our colleague Stuart Mendel picked to win the Big 12 with a 10 and 2 record. Uh, I don't know. You may have or may or may not have seen the intense reaction and backlash to his Big 12 picks, uh, which included Texas yeah. going four and eight and Oklahoma going seven and five. But uh, and then NC State in the ACC is another one. The Purdue thing's really interesting because that Thursday night opener against against uh, Penn State is indeed massive and one that is going to go under the radar because we're all going to be watching the backyard brawl between Pitt and West Virginia instead. But Purdue wins that game. It does set them up very well. However, their Big Ten West schedule is sneaky tough. They have to go to Minnesota. They have to go to Maryland. They have to go to Illinois. And they have to go to Wisconsin. That's that. That's pretty tough. And Purdue has hand Purdue has done well as the underdog, like they did last year. When there's some expectation and some pressure on them, historically that program has not handled it so well. I'm sorry to bring up Kyle Orton 2004 fumble vibes, but I just yeah, I can absolutely see Purdue starting off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and zero oh, going to Wisconsin. Very similar to that 2004 season when everything unraveled. I think the team that they beat in their bowl game is also going to have a good season. Tennessee. Yes. I think that offense is for real. I think they're going to be really fun. I think there's been so much talk in the sec about Alabama and Georgia and just sort of like a huge gap about who's the third best team, blah, 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 that maybe people are sleeping on Tennessee a little bit. You know, Josh Heupel was a hire. I think a lot of us kind of collectively shoulder shrugged at it was Danny white, the former UCF AD hiring his, coach at UCF and I can tell you that at the time a lot of UCF fans were happy to see him go because they had gotten progressively worse each year under Hypo. they hadn't fully dropped off but they just they they were slipping back and back under Josh Hypo. they heard Gus Malzahn and we thought oh man did UCF make the better hire here than Tennessee did but one year later I think both schools are very happy with where they're at UCF feels great about Gus Malzahn they're going to the big 12 and Tennessee had an explosive offense. And look, if you're going to be seven and five, if you're going to be like an average to above average team, at least score a lot of points and make it fun. And that's what Tennessee did last year. That's what we expect them to do this year. Hendon Hooker was drafted, I think, by Andy Staples in our Heisman draft. Um, so Tennessee should be fun. Are they going to? But my biggest question is, do they improve? Do they get better? Do they build upon last year? because we didn't see that from Josh Heupel at UCF, but Tennessee back to being fun again. I think it's possible. At least 
hopefully less things to throw on the field because it'll be a more. Yeah, don't do that, team. guys. Yeah, let's let's not do that. That's that's not a happy hour. Um, all right. Before we wrap it up, it is our last call segment. We did this last year. We're doing it again. We're bringing it back. It's a rant or a rave. It is something that you would cheers to as the bar is closing over the final round of shots or whatever you're drinking. Chris, I will let you go first with your rant or rave. What is your last call? It's more of a, uh, you know, everybody raise your glass and uh, say a nice farewell kind of to Hawaii football on television this year because they obviously got their teeth kicked in by Vanderbilt uh, on Saturday night. And that is the only Hawaii home game that will be on television this year. Uh, which means if you want to stay up to watch them, you're going to have to make the extra effort to do that. You can watch Hawaii football, but it's only on the team one sports app, which is an obscure thing that mostly does high school games. And I'm fairly certain you can only watch them on your phone. Why? 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 What happened here? So Hawaii football games on the islands are broadcast by Spectrum Sports pay-per-view. It costs like 300 bucks to to do it. Spectrum Sports has the Hawaii games. Unless because CBS and Fox didn't pick any of them. They, They picked the Vanderbilt game. That was it. They picked like three of them last year. But CBS and Fox doing the Mountain West draft didn't pick up any other Hawaii games and any other Hawaii games go to spectrum sports, which Hawaii gets like, I think like $3 million from like, it's honestly a pretty decent deal for them, but you got to pay pay-per-view if you're on the islands to watch them. It's tough. And if you want to watch them on the mainland though, it's only on that team one, the numerical one team one sports app, which again, mostly does high school stuff. And there is a Roku app. There is an Apple TV app, but everybody I've talked to says those don't work for Hawaii games. You can only watch it on your phone. And I've talked to some people at other schools. Like if you're a Western Kentucky fan and your team's going to Hawaii pretty soon and you want to watch the game, you're only going to be able to watch it probably on your phone or your tablet. And that's uh, that's unfortunate. Look, we all love Hawaii football games. We all love staying up late. I stayed up as long as I could till I dozed off during that 63 to 10 blowout. And uh, it's going to be hard to do that the rest of this year. We all, we all love it, but only the real... Only the real uh, sickos, I think, are going to be able to watch Hawaii football at home this year. Um, you know, you made a couple comments to that. Also, you know what? Some optimism for Vanderbilt. That's the first yes. blowout since before the pandemic, as my esteemed editor and Vanderbilt grad, Eric Single, has pointed out to me. So, you know what? Good for Vanderbilt. Good for Northwestern. Like, those are some nice wins to open the season, which don't always come easy to those programs. Okay. Absolutely. So, my last call is in a similar vein because um, I knew you were going to mention Hawaii here. Taylor Swift is putting out a new album called Midnights. Oh. It is songs that she wrote in the middle of the night over different points of her life. Her little message to fans ends with meet me at midnight. And I would just like to say that is my favorite part of the college football Saturday as well. It's it's a long day especially for, for us. I mean, we're probably juggling three or four games at all times throughout the day, but, and, and I guess we'll have to figure out what to do if it's not Hawaii kicking off at midnight. Um, but I guess like, I guess we'll still be able like, these games will be on at midnight. Right. So like be on, Boise you, state and, yeah. and Washington, different people will be playing, um, yes. at, at the witching hour. I just, I love when that point in the night hits, and the only people still up and like on Twitter and like kind of in the sports internet are also up watching the late Pac-12 or Mountain West game 
through to the end. It's just like a very delirious time of night. Yes. Everyone's giddy. The, the you can, weirder, you can make the, weird tweets. You can make weird tweets. Yeah. Yeah. You can make that, weird that aren't going to make any sense the next day. The, the 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 stranger the game is, or the more points that are scored in weird ways, or like it's just the better. And it's just a wholesome time period. Like it's people are less angry. They're all just so joyous because you're you're actively deciding to watch college football in a game that probably has no bearing on any sort of, uh, you know, conference race. And it's just delightful. So um, mine is sort of a, I guess it's, it's a little bit sadness also about losing Hawaii in that time slot, but also just uh, a cheers to the games that are to come and midnight when it hits and the witching hour of college football hits. Um, that's when I know the season will be back. And I'm so excited to get to that point. And uh, that will do it for power hour. We are so excited to be back. We'll be on this feed every single week in season. And, uh, we will be, uh, talking and cheersing our way through, uh, through week one. So please enjoy it. He is, uh, the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. I'm Nicole Auerbach, and you will get to listen to the gang on this feed the rest of the week, Andy and Ari and Sam and Max and everybody else. They'll all be here. So stay tuned. This is the feed. This is where you want to be for college football season and power hour. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.